remember your training. And so last week we were talking about the God who sustains us, and I was talking about all the different things that we lean into uh, to try and sustain ourselves. But we looked at all these different scriptures and we saw how if God is the one who created the universe, he's the one that holds it together. We read in Colossians that by him and through him all things were made, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is the creator. The Bible says he's the author and the finisher, and therefore he is the sustainer of life itself. I mentioned briefly last week that the, that the words inspire and expire, the word spire is breath. And this idea that when we expire, when we die, when we breathe out for the last time, uh, to some of the mystics, this idea was that actually you stop breathing in when God stops breathing out into you, right? God is the inspirer. He's the breather in. And I know that scientifically we go trees, but actually, the allowance of that is God, right? The provision of that is God. And the day that God stops breathing in to us is the day that we stop breathing in, right? And so we are inspired. We are full of the breath of God. And in the beginning, God breathed his spirit into the nostrils of man. It was the only creature that he did that with. He didn't do it with the dogs. He definitely didn't do it with cats. Tell me I'm wrong. Definitely didn't breathe the spirit into cats. Probably should have. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, if we're looking at the God who sustains you this morning, as we continue this idea of remember your training, uh, I want to talk about... Honestly, I've got so many different titles for the sermon, I don't know where to land. We'll see where we land by the end. It's either called Lions and Secrets and Bears, oh my... Or it's called Stones and Thorns. That's, no, that was not that one. That didn't get a good... No, that didn't, that didn't land. Uh, there was another one too, but I can't remember it, so it's not important. Um, <laughs> but I want us to pick up the story this morning, a well-known story if you've ever been to Sunday school or ever watched The Simpsons. It's, it's pop culture Christianity, but we want to look at it in a non-pop culture way. The story of David and Goliath. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And while we're doing that, I'm going to find out what that other title was. I wrote it down here somewhere. Come on, load. Oh, <laughs> remember your training. Don't worry. <laughs> Unbelievable. Good pastors are hard to find. <clears throat> <laughs> right, we're going to pick up the story real quick before I get myself in any more trouble. First Corinthians chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. You might have heard it maybe in Sunday school. Uh, it's First Corinthians, First Samuel. See, I know you're listening. Oh my word! First Samuel, chapter 17. We're just going to go. We're going to pick it up in verse one. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Socher and Judah and Ezekah and Saul. Counted by gathering his Israelite troops. I've started too early. Oh my! Can we? Let's all just take a breath for a minute. Can we just take a breath? Everyone, just stop for a minute. Everyone. Hi, my name's Shannon. I'm the pastor here. I'd like to welcome you to Connect. I'm going to invite Bex back up because that was awesome. Gonna... Okay, let's, let's move this forward just a little bit. Uh, we're going to go. Let me paraphrase and then we're going to pick some things up. Okay, so Goliath, big giant, big man. Not giant, like when we think of giant, we think Jack and the Beanstalk. We think like ridiculously high, right? They were tall. They were massive, 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 but they were not fairy tale massive. These were real 
people. They were, real, they were giants, right? There's all sorts of biblical theology about where they came from. Point is, we're not talking about a fairy tale. We're just talking about a really, really big guy. And so he's coming out and he's presented before the army of Israel and he's going, send out your best fighter and we'll just fight. And everybody else is freaking out. The best fighters in the kingdom are freaking out. And there's this guy, this little shepherd, the youngest of his family, the runt of the litter, basically is how the Bible describes him, named David. But he has something that all these other well-trained fighters don't have, and that's faith. All right? So let's pick up the story now in verse 32. Let's do that. David says, Do not worry about this Philistine. I will go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You are only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. David, meek and mild. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And so Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Let's carry on in verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I cannot go in these, he protested to Saul. I am not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. I'm going to start calling my man bag a shepherd's bag. That's way more masculine. That's... <laughs> And then armed with only his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Now, some people would say David was unprepared. Some people would say David hadn't received any training. I tell you, David had received all of the training that he needed for this moment. All of the training. And it did not come from a military barracks. It did not come from a uh, theological institution. It did not come from high school and good grades and whatever. It came from something that God had done on the inside of him. Obviously, all the... Yep, good. Right, let's, let's carry on. Let's go to 46. Let's jump to 46. Nah, let's just read from 41. You can pick it up from 46 because that's what Bo's got. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? Worth a try, you know. (laughs) And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistine, don't even tell me that the Bible's for children. This is gory as heck. (laughs) David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies and the men... Uh, Sorry, I will give the dear bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Sleep tight, children. Good, good. (laughs) David and Goliath, a children's story. And everyone assembled there will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give it to us. Let's stop there. See, I want to remind you this morning to remember your training. I want to remind you, we talked about last week, the God who sustains us. 
And I want to remind you this morning as we continue this theme about remembering the training that you have had. But I want to tell you this morning that the training you have received is not just some guy preaching or some woman preaching from the front. It's not theological school. It's not your education. It's not all these things. It's something that only the Spirit of God can do inside of you. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Because I was starting to look and I was starting to reflect. You know, again, many of you will know, some of you are on the journey with me. You're following the news. You're reading the articles. Some of you are just hearing about it going, What's he talking about up there? There's this thing going on in the church at the moment. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's an ugly thing. But there's this thing going on where, where, where the church is getting called out on some of its stuff and some of its treatment of people. The church is getting called out on some of the things that it's allowed itself to get into, some of the traditional religious walls that it's built. And like Goliath, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And we seem to be seeing this assault, particularly on the mega church. But bigger than that, I want to say we're seeing an assault on prominent Christianity which I think is a good thing. You've heard me harp on about this. I think the death of prominent Christianity is a good thing because Christianity was never created to have prominence. It was created to have influence. And that's part of the training. It's not that we lean into this whole thing where we're prominent and we're powerful and we're whatever, because then we start to look more like the Roman Empire, right? Who were the very people, or the Pharisees. See, when Jesus turned up, the very things that he tried to speak against were prominence and power, and authority that was lorded over people in an ungodly way. And he calls us into a different way, which requires us to remember our training, to remember what he established, to remember what he spoke. There's been a bit of talk this week in the office uh, about the history of the church, and I won't bore you with all the details. I personally find it very exciting. Uh, but we look at the history of the church and what was established in the, the first century, really, of A.D., after Jesus, we talk about the church of Acts, we talk about all these things that were built and what was running in that and what church evolved into and became and then broke away from and then went this way. And if you watch, if you were to put a diagram up of every denomination and every church split and every whatever, this, this thing that starts in one place goes in a thousand different directions. And some of those directions go closer to God and some of them just get further and further away. And so my challenge, not just, I'm not talking about other churches, I want to talk about us this morning. Our challenge to us as Christians is, are we getting closer to the plan that God had for us or are we getting further away from it? But I want to caveat that by saying, I'm not talking about the tradition that was put out. Because sometimes we go, that's what church ought to be. And you go, I don't know, that feels like it's heading further away from Jesus, not closer to Jesus, Right? And so, so much of what we've been doing as a church is about deconstruction, taking things out and going, why do we do this? Why is this here? How do we, where does this language come from? And most of it we go, that comes from the Bible. But then you read and go, it really doesn't. It comes from about the 17th century when someone wanted to control people and went, we're going to add that in as a rule. And so church moved from being the thing that was designed to liberate people to something that started to captivate people because they started to take training from a source other than the King of Kings. And so this morning, remember your training. is not about remembering that training. It's about remembering the training that Jesus established from the beginning of time. Because one of the things that upsets me is that the people that ran to Jesus by the thousands run from the church by the millions. Something is wrong with the presentation of Jesus. Oh, it's quiet in here. Nothing's wrong with Jesus. Something is wrong with the presentation of how we're presenting him. And so again, we remember our training. We look at this. And so we're looking at David, who did not have all of the things that the world considered would be needed in order to take on Goliath. 
but he had everything that God said he needed. And there's a couple of things that David does that I think are really interesting. Uh, but I want to start by looking at this verse, one chapter before. First Samuel, we've just read 1 Samuel 17, not Corinthians. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read the story of the calling of David. But there's this one verse in particular, because Jesse brings all of his sons out, and David's the last one he would expect. In fact, he doesn't even call them in, because he's the runt of the litter. So well, no, 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 he's not going to be king. One of these ones, shortly. And so eventually it transpires that Samuel, the prophet, says, is there another, do you have another child? And he goes, well, yeah, David, but he plays a harp and he sings to the sheep and he, it's weird, man. Like he's, got a, he's got a face that only a father could love and I'm, got to, I'm not going to lie, I'm struggling. You know, but he goes, go get him, go get him. So they bring him in and Samuel goes, this is him, anoint him as king. And everybody's surprised, but this verse in chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so there's something to be said about the heart. And the Bible goes on. In fact, David was remembered as being a man who was after God's own heart. David did some horrendous things, by the way, which we'll explain and we'll dive into. But the Bible is very uh, explicit in this. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Other translations say, above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Right? From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we look at this and we start to examine this idea. And I believe, you know, if any of you have ever been a fan of John Christ, the comedian, he had this phrase, he put it on T-shirts, which was, check your heart. And it became this sort of jokey thing. Anytime someone was, you just went, check your heart, man. But, but, but I would contest that actually maybe what God is asking the church to do at the moment is to check its heart. Check its heart. See, because here's what I know, there's a lot of effort that goes into making sure church looks pristine on the outside. Right? And in fact, let's take church out of the equation. Right? There's a lot of effort that goes into our physical being of making the outside look good. Right? This doesn't just happen. <laughs> and, I, and I know, but you're going, it, could be, it could be way better. Like, you have no idea how long it took to get it to this. Right? <laughs> But I'm not just talking about our physical appearance. I'm talking about our standing in society. I'm talking about our popularity. I'm talking about we want to fit in. And we put all of this effort into our external world so that someone might like me. Right? Well, no. Someone might like me would be easier. So that everyone might like me. And then we go, it's not working. It's not working. There's always someone that doesn't like me. There's always someone. There's a complaint. And we put all this effort into our external because that's what the world judges by. And very rarely do we actually look internally and go, what's in my heart? What's in my heart? See, Jesus had some stuff to say about this. Have a look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 to 26. He's talking to the Pharisees here because it's not just about impressing them. We do this at church, right? You ever walked into a church and you go, I don't fit here. Right? Hello? If you've walked into a church and gone, I don't fit here, you've missed something. In fact, something's been presented to you that's not... Because we can get to the point that in order to go to church, I have to have my face on, and I don't just mean makeup. I have to look at people coming in and you go, how are you? We we cry all the way to church and and go, my life is hard, my life... And we're walking into the, how are you? I am 
so good. God has blessed me, and greater is it. You know, and we do this whole thing, and it's garbage. It's utter garbage, right? But we do it because we need everybody else to think that we've got it together. And we say things, you know, and I've seen examples of this. I've heard people say about people, you know, I have the privilege and the curse of talking to different people about things that are going on in their lives. And one of the things they'll say is they'll be talking about someone else and they'll go, I just wish I had it together like that person. I met with that person 48 hours ago. You don't want to have it together like that person. <laughs> right? <laughs> but we all have this mentality, this idea, because we put this external face on, that we all go, well, they're doing great because we buy the lie. And so in order to buy the lie, we try to present the lie as well, and then other people buy our lie, and we're all miserable on the inside, but look like we're victorious on the outside. And I go, if we could just have a little bit of authenticity back in the church and in the community, the world would be a better place. So, so, so but it wasn't just about, it's, it can be about church as well. And the Pharisees were really good at this. Take a look at this, Matthew chapter 23. And Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. See, here's what I learned from this. If you clean the inside of the dish, the outside will be clean, but it doesn't matter how much you scrub the outside, the inside will never get clean. And yet so often our churches and our messages and our, our, our very living is based around how shiny can I get the outside of that cup? Andrew Stone, when he was here a couple of years ago talking to our leaders, he said, something, he said this. He said, we put so much effort into the steak, but if you serve steak, if you went to the best restaurant in town, which we all know is Grimato's, and they give you that Wakanui steak and it's... They give you the guava sauce. I'm sorry, if we're going as elders on Friday and I'm just... Thank you, Jesus. So just take a moment. And just... No, let's move on. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, I'm not going to be able to preach. I'll be too... But if you go and you enjoyed it, and that steak was served, and it came out, and it was perfectly cooked, and they served it to you on this plate that was covered in dirt from the last person, you go, I ain't eating that. They go, but the steak's been cooked by the best chef. It's professional. It's perfect. It's polished. It's this. And we go, yeah, not on that plate. They go, what if we take it off and put it on a cl-? No, no. No, it's, it's touched it now. It's, it's on there. Yeah, it's, we, we, we do 10-second rule with sausages on the barbecue. We don't do 10-second rule on the good steak, all right? It's, anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> People are going, what did Shannon preach about? I don't know, but I'm hungry, man. <laughs> Starving, just so, so hungry. <laughs> Anywho. So, so the point is, it doesn't matter how clean the outside is if the inside's grubby. And one of the things that we're starting to see and one of the things I believe is being tested of us in this time, and, and don't think that just because you're not part of some global megachurch or something that it won't happen to you, the church in this time is being tested by its community to go, that looks shiny on the outside, what's on the inside? You might be here this morning because you go, I've heard it's shiny on the outside, but what's it like on the inside? My hope is that your experience here this morning is, just, is not just polished, and let's be, let's be face it, there's nothing polished about this presentation this morning, <laughs> but that you experience something of the cleanliness of the inside of the cup, the purity of what God is doing here and in us. But that requires us to remember our training and to challenge ourselves. I guess my question this morning is, how clean is your cup on the inside? And you go, oh, Shannon, that sounds very legalistic. 
But let's jump. I'm going to jump around a wee bit here, but in First John chapter two, in verse one, John writes this. He says, "My dear children, I am writing this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous." Now, I want to lean into two things here this morning, just simply to justify why we do what we do. Because you might be here this morning going, Shannon, we're under grace, not this legalistic preaching, this, all this stuff. You're trying to tell me that I need to get some rubbish out of my life. I don't like that. I like that when you said Jesus loves me. Both of those things can be true at the same time. See, see, John, if we threw this on its head and said it backwards, John says, if anybody sins, we can be encouraged that we are under grace and not under law. And God pleads our case. Jesus pleads our case before his Father. And we are covered by the grace and the blood of Jesus. But John still gets, I'm writing this so you don't. So if you do, let's be fair, when you do, <laughs> but our goal as Christians should always still be to be a pure vessel. Because Jesus is good stake. And we want to present him well. And at the moment, one of my fears is that I think so much of the church is being tested and found wanting. Because the inside of the cup's not as clean as it could be. A man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so far be it just from our reputation in the community, one day we're going to stand before the judge. And he's going to look at us and he's going to say, what's going on? Did you clean the inside of the cup? But let me, don't tune out there or you'll go home and go, I'm sad. I'm hungry and I'm sad. <laughs> See, there was a lot of this. But Jesus modeled this, right? How, how often throughout Jesus' journey did the Pharisees try to trap him? How often did the Pharisees try to trip Jesus up and they go, we're trying to prove how dirty your inside of the cup is and every time they go, I go, my cup is dirty. Like Jesus got me again. It's like, it's like taking on, you know, it's like a rap battle with like Eminem. You wouldn't do it. It'd be a bad idea. I'm not sure where that came from. It was just the closest thing to an illustration I had in my head. It's just some things you don't pick a fight with, right? You don't go, hey, man, let's have a, let, let's have a, a rugby competition. I don't play rugby. I don't know how that works. Let's have a rugby competition with, with Richie McCoy. You just don't do that, right? You go, he hasn't played rugby for a couple of years. Now, I'm still not taking him on. He'll beat me, right? And so every time they come and they try to take on Jesus, he just turn it back around and throw it in their face. And they go, oh, every time. Why? Because Jesus focused on the inside of his cup. He said, think what you want about the outside. But I'm focusing on the inside. And so I want to look at, if we go back to 1 Samuel and get this back on the gravy train. See, because David had done all of this work on the inside of his cup. And see, when, when everybody looked at him, they went, he's not fit, he's not been to military school, he plays a harp, he does this, he does whatever else. He can't be the person that God is destined to be king. And Samuel goes, no, it's him. And they go, well, why? And he goes, I, I don't know. But that's what God's told me. And so that's what we're running with. And so David ends up facing Goliath. And there's a couple of interesting things that happen. First of all, let's go back to... Let's pick it up in verse 34. Verse 34. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I love that he had standards. Like, well, if it doesn't attack me, I'll let it go. Just get out. But if it turns on me, you did. dead. <laughs> he goes, I've done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has defied the armies of the living God. You might have heard this cliche before, but I want to I put it to you this way. 
Uh, in fact, I want to read it straight from Charles Spurgeon. said this in a sermon. In 1884, who remembers 1884? What were you doing in 1884? Good, yeah, remember it finally. Remember the music? He said it this way. In 1884, Spurgeon said, Therefore, I would have you take care and kill your lions and kill your bears so that you may store up your experience and be able to kill your Philistines. For if David had not killed first the lion and then the bear, he would not have been able to meet any other ferocious creatures. And see, so often we want to be giant killers. So often we want to be a church that slays that giant and we want to be a church that does this and we want to be this and we want to have this slick presentation and we want to have this and want to have whatever else and we go, I am above the lions and the bears. Oh my. Right? We're too good for it. We don't want it. But it was all of these experiences that prepared David for what he was doing. See, how often have we found that you can put all this effort into the outside of the cup but all it takes is for someone to put their, put their finger on the thing on the inside of the cup and go, you didn't deal with this, and the whole empire comes crumbling down. All right? Now, the kingdom of God doesn't come crumbling down because God doesn't need you to hold him up. Right? We've established this last week. But what are, we, what are we being called to do? As a church at the moment, I think one of the things that God is speaking to us prophetically about is take on your lions and your bears. Oh my. Your lions and your secrets and your beers. Oh my. Because these are the things that we would rather just leave, the things we would rather hide, the things that we would rather just put down. And then we go, but let me take on that giant. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. How many people here got lions and beers? Not literal lions and beers, but you just go, I got lions and beers. I want to tell you something. The God who is faithful to deliver you from them. In fact, we could go the other way. The God who is faithful for the big things is the God who can be trusted as faithful for the small things. So if I was to summarize it in three points, I just want to bring this. Three things that we need to do to remember our training. Number one is this. Take care of your lions and your bears. There are too many things that we love to go for, we love to move on we love to to push ahead and go, I'll deal with that later, I'll deal with that later I'll deal with that later and then that's the thing that comes up Yeah, should have dealt with that and I don't mean dealing with it is between you and God, right I'm not talking about exposing it, getting up here and going can I have that microphone, I need to talk about my lines and my beards, it's not what I'm talking about I'm just talking about how often do we continue to entertain that thing well, how often do we continue to do it? Remember your training. Deal with your lions and your bears. See, what happened to David? David came into this whole kind of space where he was suddenly, uh, he killed Goliath. And when he killed Goliath, what did he do? He forgot his training, didn't he? He became king. And when he became king, he got a little proud. He got a nice crown. He got a nice palace. He got a couple of things going on. And in the midst of that, David became consumed with his outer appearance again and became consumed with all these different things. And see, just because you killed a giant, so you might go, giants are like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. How many people here met a giant? Right, I mean, metaphorically, physically, whatever. In the culture that David lived in, giants were uncommon, but lions and bears, oh my, were quite common. Right? And so, so if we wanted to look at it this way, hypothetically, metaphorically, David defeats Goliath because of his practice in dealing with the lion and the bear and he walks out and he goes, I'm a giant killer and then gets mauled by a bear two weeks later. 
Because in becoming so proud of himself for dealing with the, dealing with the giant, he forgot about the lion and the bear. That make sense? I tell you, when you're in your successful moment, when you're riding high, when God has given you what he's given you, don't forget about the lions and the bears. Jesus said the devil prowls around like a lion. And so he walks around like a giant, prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. How does a lion decide who it devours? It picks off the slow one, the tired one, the unaware one, spiritually speaking. We all know I would be the first one to get eaten by the lion. So this is the first thing. Deal with your lions and your bears. Number two, practice your craft. Rodney, I want to lean into Rodney um, shared a message with the youth group a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was brilliant, just, a, just hearing him talk about it. You know, he talked about David who goes down and he picks up five smooth stones to take on Goliath. And as he does that, the Bible tells us, he, well, certainly heavily implies that he killed him in one, and you go, well, why did he grab four more? Why did he grab four more? And, and, and Rodney says it this way, David knew how good he was with a sling and went, I can do it in at least five, no more than five. If I've got five, I can do that. It, it might take me more than one. See, so often we go, I gotta give it one and done, and if it doesn't work, then I quit. Whereas David knew, let me put it to you this way, David knew of God's ability, but he was also comfortable with his own inability. David knew about God's ability, but was comfortable with his own inability. And so he goes down and he goes, I'm going to pick up five stones. Because I know what my God can do, and I know that I've got an accuracy of one in five. Thank goodness the one in five was the first one. And I've heard other people say that he got it probably thrown at the complete opposite direction, and God would have gone, because <laughs> that's what God does. But David did something here. See, see how often in our Christian walk or in our faith journey, are we too scared to admit our inability? How often, especially in that world that's about the the face and about the external, don't admit you've got problems. Don't admit that you've got difficulties. Don't admit that you've got propensities. And by propensities, I mean just things that you struggle with. Things that you go, if I'm in that environment, I know those are my weak spots. I know those are my triggers. I know those are my temptations. I know those are my whatever. And so David picks up four, five stones. And what David should have done has probably kept those four stones as a bracelet, as a reminder that I'm not perfect. So that every time he looked at them, he was reminded, actually, i got some stuff. See, because if you're here and, you, and the, the message you're hearing this morning is, is you've got to deal with your stuff, amen, but if, it's, if you're hearing me that there will ever be a time where you don't have stuff, you're missing me. You'll always have stuff. How many people here got stuff? Got stuff? liars, the other ones who didn't put their hands up. (laughs) We've all got stuff. We've all got, you know, Paul said it this way. In fact, have I got that reference? I don't know that I gave you that one. Paul said it this way. He talked about a thorn in the flesh that he had. And I prayed and I asked God to remove it. And we don't know what that was. We We can guess. We can whatever. The point is, Paul went, I've got this thing and God's doing so many things in my life, but I have this stone. I have this thorn. I have this propensity. I, like, I've, I've got this thing, man. Maybe yours is a big rock. Right? You're carrying around. And, and God's response to Paul is, my power is made perfect in weakness. 
But when you refuse to admit that you have weakness, then God's power can't be made perfect in it. So we have to admit, there's nothing worse than someone who looks like they've got it all together. We love to take down in Kiwi culture someone who talks a good game and then falls from grace. And we love to throw our stones at them. Remember what Jesus said about stones? Let he who is without sin cast the first one. So we've all got our thorns. But like, but like David, we have a responsibility to remember our training. See, what David forgot was that David never got picked because of his stature or his ability. He got picked because of his heart. And then as soon as he got picked, he neglected his heart for his stature. It's easy to get picked for the right reasons and get fired for the wrong ones. Right? Remember your training. It was David's heart, not his stature, that got him chosen. And yet he neglected his heart. I want to tell you this morning, if you're in this room this morning and you're feeling unworthy, you are the person that God is looking for. If you feel like you've got it all together and you feel like you're sorted and you feel like, you know what? Nothing can touch me. Watch out for lions. Right? But if you're willing this morning to pick up your five stones, to pick up your inadequacies, your imperfections, your triggers and your propensities, and say, God, I know what I can't do, but I know what you can do. With my stones, with my weakness. And if you bring it to him, you take care of your lions and your bears. You practice your craft. And you continue to focus on your heart. Above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. If the inside of the cup is clean, then the outside of the cup will be clean also. And so this morning, I want to invite you again. I want to invite you to remember your training and remember this. We don't gather here to compare the outside of our cup. In fact, we don't even gather here to compare the inside of our cup. We gather here to collectively help each other clean their cups. This is a dishwashing service. You've been, you've been to a foot washing service. Those are weird. This is a dishwashing service where we come together and go, our cups are dirty. But we know that as we clean the inside of our cup, that the outside will be clean. That as we continue to be people of integrity in a world where it is so tempting to throw it away, God will do wonderful things. Not because of our ability, but because of his strength in our weakness. Amen? I'd love to pray for you. Worship team, would you come? Can we sing, can we sing Make Room this morning? I just feel like that's, I feel like Make Room would be good. It's about making room, giving him what we are and giving him space to work in what ways only he can. Let's all stand together. Lord, we thank you this morning that this place is not a place of condemnation. That this place is not a place where we have to worry about the outside of our cup. 
but it's a place where we can be real about what's going on in our hearts. But Lord, we don't want to be so graceful to ourselves and to each other that we just start serving up your gospel on a dirty plate. We want to be pure vessels. And Lord, we know we can't do that in our strength. And so God, this morning we make room for you to do what you want to in our lives. To heal, to convict, not condemn purify, to grow, to invite us on a journey, to encourage. Just, I just feel this morning like some of you, some of you need to know, especially because of how this message could hit you if you don't know this truth. Judgmental thinking towards yourself is part of the duty cup. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you've heard the words that I've said and you've gone, I'm useless I'm useless. That's actually the first thing that God wants to clean out of your cup. Because that'll, that'll hold you back. That, that'll hold you up. That'll make you go, oh, I just, I can't, I can't. This morning, Jesus wants you to know that he has paid it all and you are free. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated at Easter sets you free, not only from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. And as we continue to walk towards that together, God wants you to know this morning. Stop being so hard on yourself. Stop being so heavy on yourself. Stop being so judgmental. Stop being so condemning. And let God come and do what only He can do. See, David said it this way, the God who gave me victory over the lion and the bear will give me victory over this giant. And so in the same way that God gave him the victory over the giant, you need God for victory over your lion and your bear. Whatever it may be, however big, however small, you cannot do it on your own. But his power is made perfect in our weakness when we bring it to him. And so, Lord, this morning we just simply invite you into our weakness, into our brokenness, our disappointment, into all those different things. Lord, we invite you into our sin to come and do what you want to. And Lord, I thank you that what you want to do this morning here isn't about being heavy-handed, it's not about being condemned, it's about setting free. And so Lord, this morning I pray that hearts all across this room, hearts at home on the live stream, Lord, that my heart would be set free this morning so that it might be purified so that we might know you and that we might present you to a community that has seen some horrible pictures of Jesus. But Lord, that in us and in our weakness, but in your strength, they would see you.